Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. True. Stand up with me. Thank you so much for being here. We're all in it together, aren't we? As I'm putting my thoughts together here this morning, uh, Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 22, 23, and 24, um, in Matthew chapter 22, he starts his discord to Christ as there at the very ba- ba- at the end of that chapter. And it says two things, to love God and to love people. And, and, and we know that if you're not familiar with it, it's the two greatest commandments that Christ gives us to love God with all thy heart, thy mind, and thy soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Sometimes we just have to go back to the basics, don't we? God, I want to make sure I love you, and I want to make sure I love people. He goes on then in Matthew chapter 24 and he begins to talk about what it's going to be like when he comes back. And he warns us some very difficult things. One of the things that he says is whenever, like it says in Daniel, the Antichrist, if you will, makes an abomination a sacrifice in the temple, he says, run for the hills. Don't even stop and get anything out of your house. Just whenever you see that happen, run for the hills. And then he says this statement that I was reading this last week and it almost brought me to tears. Woe to the mothers and woe to the babies who are nursing. But before he does all that and tells us of the many other things that are in there that we need to be aware of, right before that he talks about the Pharisees. And he basically says, listen, you guys are acting one way and and you think you're one way, but the inside of your heart is completely different from me. And we're entering into a world right now that's already been there that there's a lot of stuff from the lips that is not followed by actions. So we go back before that. Your number one priorities are to love me and love people. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are bowed to you. Thank you for your grace, your goodness, your mercy. Holy Spirit, we pray that you illuminate our hearts with your word this morning, that we could grow closer to you and be more like you in honor of you, great God in heaven. Hear our cry in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everyone says, amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and wave hi to your neighbor if you would, as we do. We are going to take off in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. But before we do that, we want to, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my heart about loving people and loving God. And we know that the Jews are God's chosen people. Amen. Israel, Jerusalem, we know that talks... The whole Bible talks about that. It orders us to pray for it. We're well real aware of what's going on in Israel and uh, different things around. And, um, and we're going to talk more about that tonight. So be back tonight at 6. We promise that there will be a question and answer service last time. Uh, Pastor Mike and I, he, he basically looked up the clock and thought, man, it's 7.05. we got to end this thing or 7.10. Um, but it was very informative. We invite you to be back and be a part of that tonight. And as I was praying, I think one of the things that we're going to have to guard ourselves on is this hatred. Now, typically the way that hatred comes out in the world, especially when you're talking about the spirit of the Antichrist, if you will, and the spirit of the enemy, um, is in anti-Semitism. And I, I feel like in my heart, if you will, in my spirit, that we're going to have to make sure that as Americans, as Christians, Americans, if you will, as Christians all across the world, that we're going to have to guard ourselves against this. Now, anti-Semitism is uh, uh, excuse me, discrimination against or prejudice or hostility towards Jews. 
And, and even one of the le- headlines that I, that I read this morning um, in the press was that uh, 8,000 people have already died in Gaza, and then there was a little bitty blurb after that that said in 1,400 in Israel. Did you see how they, we've already turned that? By Israel has no right to defend their country, and because of what happened, it's their fault. And that's going to happen more and more and more. I mentioned it last Sunday night. Uh, Mr. Putin said this, that if Israel goes in in a ground assault in Gaza, that would just be... Um, Uh, unacceptable because of the casualties that's what he did to Ukraine so you begin to see how this narrative is beginning to be slotted already and as I was processing this I was thinking about history I wouldn't call myself a historian but as a person who's interested in history I I thought back to of course World War II and I even hate to mention Adolf Hitler's name behind a pulpit but for educational purposes we will and he hated the Jews by all means and standards. He hated them. He wanted to destroy them. He, he got Germany behind him. And it's interesting in the sense as you begin to, uh, you know, read and study a little bit of how he rose up through the ranks. And, of course, after Germany ended World War I, they had this thing called reparations that they were responsible for. And they just virtually could not pay them because of the extent of the damage that was caused. And through that, you begin to see that he needed an scapegoat that he needed something or someone to hate, if you will, which it wasn't just Jews, the majority of, of it was Jews, but an scapegoat and began to convince the country and people rallied behind him and began to say, yes, that's what we have to do and, and, and we can't pay the reparations, so how are we going to go after it? You know? And they began to, to go after the Jews to exterminate them, if you will, and cause genocide. And what they would do is they would take their property and their belongings and it would become their own wealth. In our country, as I was processing this, I was thinking about this with us. See, we're poised because of the last couple of years, particularly of everything that's happened, and we have to make sure that we guard ourselves. Well, Pastor Matt, why would we have to guard ourselves? I mean, how crazy is it that you can stand on a college, edu- a college campus where you're supposed to be getting a higher education and stand for paragliders coming in and shooting innocent people at a music festival? While you stand for Black Lives Matters or, or Proud Boys or whatever it is, know it's like Black Lives Matters is a Marxist organization if you really read their documentary or documents. And if you really read even Proud Boys, they're all about violence. Everywhere they go, they want to stare at violence. So it doesn't matter. I mean, you can pick one of them, but they're not God. The spirit behind them is not godly. And I was processing this, and I was thinking about our country right now, how we don't hear this word reparation, but you know what we hear a lot of? Restitution. And what we have to be on guard is, as Israel continues to go into Gaza and, and, and do what they talked about with Hamas, is eliminate them. I heard one gentleman this last week on, on the news, and he was like, well, I just want to know what Israel's intentions are with Hamas. I'm like, have you not been listening to their leaders? They're getting in there and they're going to take care of business is what their intentions are. They're not fooling around. And it can be easily skewed even in our sense. Because as Americans, anything that disrupts our life, we really don't like. Anything that takes the comforts and the conveniences away from us, we have a tendency to stand up against. And if this war continues, and as it continues rather... And if other countries begin to get involved and we begin to feel that, and it's not just going to be a world away, but we'll begin to feel that, 
then we must guard ourselves against that, against that hatred because it can creep into our lives easier than you think. I believe it was around 63, 64, 65, 67 AD where Nero began to persecute Christians. When you guys were growing up, you, I know you heard this, guilty by association. I, I was taught it's not always that you believe like somebody else believes necessarily, but when you hang around them and you kind of look like them and you act like them, guess what? People are going to thank you then. And many of the Christians in the day, especially when that extreme persecution began to happen, it was the Romans who took it out on the Christians. It was really Nero, the emperor, who began to light them on fire and use them as human torches. He would turn them over to gladiator arenas of sorts. He would blame things on them. It's really believed that he really started the great fires of Rome and just needed a scapegoat. So he found somebody. Because anybody who stands for God, who stands for our Lord, and stands for Jesus Christ will have to pay a price. And in Matthew chapter 22, he goes back to the basics. He's talking to his disciples, and of course, it's later on, but he says, people will hate you because of me. But what did he say? Love God, love people. Love those who hate you. That's hard, isn't it? So today as we read Hebrews and we talk about and, 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 and what do you do when you don't know what to do? And my heart is simple, we go back to the basics. We go back to doing some of the things that we only know to do because we don't know what else to do. There's a war being halfway across the globe that we can't necessarily insert ourselves, but I would say that there are many American troops and many American families who represent those troops who are feeling this as tensions begin to rise and things begin to happen, and we need to make sure we pray for our military, amen? But we look out and we see all these things beginning to rise and happen, and God, what do we do? How do we make sure that we're doing what you've called us to do, and we love God and we love people? I'm proud of you guys. Throughout the last week or so, over $14,000 has been given to, um, to the, uh, our Israel missions group for what's going on over there. And then the elders and the deacons decided to give another $5,000. So in a representation of our church, it's been $20,000 that we've given to the Holy Land. So praise the Lord. Amen. So why did we do that? Well, in the words of our senior pastor, we unequivocally stand with Israel. We're putting our money where our mouth is. We're doing what we can. And to some degree, whenever tensions rise and difficulties happen, we have to take a deep breath and we have to say, God, what do I need to do? And then when he tells us, go do what he tells us to do. And here in Hebrews, we see the authors trying to teach them something because they're at a place where people are beginning to persecute them and things that symbolize Christianity, they're beginning to pull back from. One of is meeting together. It's where we get that famous verse, forsake not the assembling of each other. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand that in times what, like what we're facing, we have a tendency to pull back and we need to press forward. We have a tendency to do some things in our life because we, and, and, and I think in the heart in the right place that we don't want to cause more strife, we don't want to openly walk into the lion's den and things of that nature. 
But if we're not careful and we don't draw lines, then all of a sudden we begin to digress and we're never meant to digress, amen? But there's always a cost to that. And it's in moments like these that the world looks at us and really looks at us as a church and says, okay, are you really going to back up what you go into your little holy huddle in your church on Sunday mornings and you preach and you sing and you have a good time and all that other type of stuff? And that's really the lingo they use because they don't understand everything that we do. Amen. And then whenever we go back out into the world and it comes to times like this, this is whenever we can shine the brightest, but it's the toughest. And the writer of Hebrews is helping them understand that. And he doesn't give them excuses. He doesn't give them ways out. He doesn't do anything. Instead, he says, this is what you do whenever times like these happen. Whenever you can choose to hate instead of love. Whenever you can back instead of go forward. Whenever you can give up instead of continuing to do what God's called you to do. And it's something that we all face. It doesn't matter whether you're standing behind the pulpit, whether you're one of the singers and musicians or the people teaching in Sunday school. It doesn't matter whether you do that. We all have a tendency to want to step back at times because the heat gets really intense, amen? But it's what we do in times like this as the church that's going to matter the most. And here the writer of Hebrews is helping us understand that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 23. Before he begins, he helps us understand that everything that we need is through Christ because of the death of Christ that we have the righteousness that we need. Amen? And in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full, and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially, do you see that? Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Especially. But now we live in a culture, in a community, if you will, a culture of America where we, as a Christian church, we're saying, yeah, we see the days growing darker and we see that the Lord's coming is quicker and quicker, yet we find fewer and fewer reasons to go to church. More and more things pull at us and we give into this for this and that and that and I'm just tired and I got to get ready and all that other stuff. Like coming into the house of God is not what energizes us, is not what builds us up that when we come together we can feel the presence of God. Yeah, you can do that when you're at home in front of your TV eating your bowl of macaroni and trees while you're petting your cat, but I'm telling you it's not the same thing. That is not meant to be our meat. That is in emergencies. But we can't make a lifestyle out of it. And, and the good news is this. These people were struggling with the same thing. I ain't going to meet. Did you hear about what happened to the last people who got, got together? But the reality is it wasn't just here in Hebrews. Throughout history we see that this same kind of persecution is what Christians had to endure. And today I'm going to talk about simply three different points that how whenever we draw near to God and we draw near to people, how do we do that? But we want to be careful not getting too close to people. We can get as close as we want to God, but how many of us know sometimes there's a limitation between people, right? Like personal space. We say it all the time in youth, save room for Jesus. 
Elizabeth I, 16th century, she's trying to find a suitor and she has no problem. Of course, she's the queen, so everybody wants, you know, to be with the queen. She has one suitor, his last name's Dudley, and he turns out to be kind of weird. So, you know, they go to the balls and they dance, and this guy will dance with her, and that guy will dance where he would sit there right beside her, and as soon as somebody else took her hand, he would cut in and begin to dance with her. Freaky. Then one time the guard was out, and they were patrolling the campuses, and he was riding his horse, and they found him up underneath her window as he was looking up at her. And when they asked him, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm sorry, I got lost. Then the creepiest. They walked into her room one day to check it out, and they found him hiding under the bed, dude. That's creepy, man. And I'm pretty sure it's against the law, so. That's wanting to be a little too close. So maybe we're not talking about that as much as we are talking about this desire to be drawn near to God and he will draw near to us. It's what James helps us understand. So how do we do that? How do we make sure we draw near to God and draw near to others? And the first thing that we see as we read verse 22 is we want to draw near with a sincere heart. We want to make sure that our heart is in that trustworthy position and that place where God, it's open to you, but it's open and honest. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we're struggling with. This is where we're at. This is our fears. This is our doubts. These are the things that we're having problems with. That's what God commands us, is draw near to him with a sincere heart. We sang it this morning. We're standing on holy ground, and if you go back and you understand what Moses, whenever he took off his shoes and he went before the burning bush and was commanded that this is holy ground, it took him to a place where he had to be who he was. God was talking to him, not with him and all of his family, not with him and, and, and what he wanted to be or where he thought he was, but just Moses, and began to call him and command him. And for you and I, we have to, we, we go after it with a sincere heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. It talks about us being sprinkled and our, our conscience being clear and our, our bodies being washed and we get washed by the word and it's, it's about what I'm doing on the inside matches my outside actions and when I get into that place where I study and I worship and it's just me and God, I'm in that place with a sincere heart saying, God, what you say I want to hear and what you tell me to do, whether I want to do it or not, I will do it. That really is what defines a true Christian with a sincere heart. We look at the matriarchs and the patriarchs and the heroes of the Bible, and I think sometimes we, we, we don't do them justice. I don't think sometimes the, the pedestal that we put them on, they ever meant to be there because none of them are Jesus. They got cold and tired and hungry. You can't tell me that they always wanted to do everything that God wanted them to do, but they did it anyways, didn't they? Like Jonah, sometimes he had to get their attention, <laughs> but he did. And you got to appreciate Jonah, not his rebellion, but at least his sincerity of heart. God, I knew that you would save the city. That's the reason why I didn't want to go preach to him. But you know what? You told me to preach to him, so I'm going to go do it anyways. But you begin to see that they love the things of love. So with a sincere heart, you go after George Mueller, one of the great missionary evangelist pastors, if you will, teachers. Touched over 10,000 orphans in his life, and he lived from 1805 to 1898. And his desire was to rely on prayer and the things of God, just be transparent before God. And I'm sure some of you guys know the story. 
woke up and knew there wasn't any food in the orphanage, so he got all of his children around the table and they prayed and they began to thank God for the food that they didn't have. Here in just a couple minutes, a knock came to the door and he went and answered it. It was the local baker that said, hey, God had kept me up all night so I could be here with you because I need to donate all this bread. You know, God has your answer coming. It just doesn't always show up when you want it to. If you would go ahead and just, I mean, this is good theology. If we go ahead and just begin to thank him that it's already came, it'll probably come quicker than we can realize. Another time he had a leaky roof and he didn't know what to do and a stonemason came knocking on his door and said, Mr. Mueller, I'm a stonemason. I'm going to fix your roof for you. But whenever you read what he wrote in his journal, it's very interesting. He wrote, it ill becomes the servant to seek to be the master. How many times do we go into prayer and we begin to ask God or even tell God, if I were you, this is what I would do? Now, we don't say it like that, but we hawk suggestions at God more than we should. And we're all guilty of it. But if we will put ourselves in that place with a transparent heart and say, God, what are you trying to do? Because I want to be where you're at. Later on, George Mueller wrote this about his ministry. The chief aim and work was to prove how blessed it is to deal only with God. That at the end of this thing, it's all about Jesus, amen. That's what it's all about. And that's easier said than done, but as people look at us, sometimes we can simplify it. And as people look at us and wonder, are you serious? What you're doing? Are you really walking forward? And they look in their life and they say, one thing I know, that person loves Jesus. I don't know very much about their life, but how they act and how they talk, I can tell you one thing, they love Jesus. What an epithet. With a sincere heart, and it's hard to do at times like these. But... The writer of Hebrews was saying, listen, go in to your quiet time, if you will. Go into those times with a sincere heart. Walk around in your community with trustworthiness of your actions, of your heart, of your mind. God, I want to be sincere in who I am. The second thing that we, we see here is we, we draw near in full confidence. Verse 23, but we draw near in full confidence in Christ. It's times like these that we reestablish our confidence in Christ, if you will. Sometimes we can get our priorities out of whack and we can go one direction or another and we can do some things that we don't need to do and we gotta make sure that our confidence is found in Christ and Christ alone, amen? It's not found in material blessings. It's not found in relationships, although those are important, but my confidence is found in Christ and Christ alone. And as we look at our economy, as we look at the world, as we look at all these different things, it's easy to begin to grasp for those things, but Paul, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is not saying that. A lot of people thought Paul wrote Hebrews. That's the reason why I said that. But nobody knows. But he's saying here, the writer's saying, listen, you have to have your confidence established in Christ. Let us draw near with a true heart and, true heart and full assurance of faith. How, how do we do that in full assurance of faith? The answer is in chapter um, 10, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. If you've ever had somebody in your life that whenever they promised you something, you know if it, didn't, if it flooded tomorrow and a tornado came, they were still going to come through with their promises. 
Have you ever had one of those people in your life? I mean, we all hope we're those type of people. But if you've ever had those people in your life and they can look you straight in the eye, shake your hand and they mean what they say and you can walk away and you have confidence in them that, listen, unless they die, this is going to happen. Well, that's the confidence that we must have in Christ. And whatever we have to do to make sure that confidence is established and concreted, we must do it. And right now, the way that we do that is if we love God, we will love the things that God loves, so we continue to love God. How do we love God? We get to know God more and more and more because the average person who wants to know God more and more and more, it's, it wouldn't be possible not to love more because God is love. And if you know it's not God, you know it's not love, for God is love. So the more that I love God, the more that I'm going to love. So I study, I do the things that I know to do, I go back to the basics. My confidence is established in you, Christ. I gotta make sure that line of communication is open. United Airlines Flight 232, the year is 1989. Veteran pilot Al Haynes is having to make an emergency landing at Sioux City, Iowa. After taking off a little time in the air, one of his engines blew up. And whenever it blew out, it took out the hydraulic system of the airplane. So he's communicating with the people in the tower, and there's actually somebody in there that's going through this with him because he's going to have to make an emergency landing, and it's not going to be good. 300 passengers on board. Lost steering at one point, and they kind of manufactured a way where he could steer the airplane. But the reality is you're going to have to land this on the, on the airstrip without any wheels. Tragically, 111 people lost their lives that day. But many lived. Going back to the pilot, they asked him what helped with some of the success that you had. Obviously, it was a very tragic event, but what happened? He said, I kept constant communication with that control tower operator. They walked me through stuff and told me how to make the best out of a bad situation. Have you ever been in that situation where it was bad, but you said, God, how do I make this the best out of a bad situation? Those are never easy. Our current climate, our current world globally, it's the best of a bad situation. If you listen to Israel's leadership, they know that there's gonna be tremendous loss on both sides, but we're gonna do it anyways because we need to. In our culture, in our life, God, we're not asking for you to come and deliver us from all this because we know that's not biblical because you said, I'm gonna send them into the world and we are to stay there in the world because we're the light of the world but we're not of the world. So God, while I'm here, if I will keep that connection and that communication with you with a sincere heart and build my confidence and you are my control tower operator and I am flying this plane the best that I can, God, and whatever you do, please do not lose communication with me because I know it probably won't turn out like I wanted to, but if you're there with me teaching me and showing me and connecting to my heart, then we can make the best out of a bad situation. Oh man, don't we want to hear that God will deliver us and take us out? Oh, but he doesn't, does he? Sometimes that path that he takes us down is exactly what David wrote about. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of y'all know what that feels like. You've been there. We've got brothers and sisters all over the world that face that. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor in the last five years, thank God for a good mentor, mentors really, 
Whenever I go and talk to people and they're usually two to three weeks out from, from dying, meeting their maker, what I don't see around their beds are very many material possessions. I don't see bank statements and textbooks, educational documents. I don't see bank account receipts or gold bars or chains or money. But what I do see is a faith in Jesus Christ, a confidence. And then I see so many times people surrounding that person doing that very thing, building their confidence up in their faith. Because when it all comes down, when we see times like we're seeing, those things matter the most, don't they? See, that's really what it leads us into, point three here. Draw near while we, encouraging, while we encourage other people. See, we must encourage each other. Uh, verse 24 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We're called to provoke and stimulate one another to good works, and it's not always easy, but sometimes we have to be called out. I was in a conversation with one of my friends the other day, and, and I'm extending some education in my life, and he looked at me and he asked me this hard question. Is he, he said, are you doing it so people will look at you like you're smarter, or are you doing it for the right reason? I wanted to slap him. No, I didn't want to. Good question. What was happening? Are you provoking? Are you stimulating? He was stimulating, provoking me. What's your true answer for this? Because whenever it all comes down to an end here, how's it going to turn out? Then we get to verse 25, and I don't know why this is so debated because it's here in Scripture, and it says, don't forsake. <laughs> Do not let us neglect, is the wording here. Do not let us neglect our meeting together as some people do. And Paul is saying, listen, the persecution has been turned up, difficulties has happened, and some people are pulling back from the very thing that you need to embrace. It is in Psalms that remind us that God enthrones the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people, amen. So we come into places like this and we realize that God, you're here, you're drawing near to us as we draw near to you, as James chapter four, verse eight puts it. So I come into this place and I know that your presence is here because your people's praises go up. So God, let me experience that. Don't pull away from that. And we have reasons to, don't we? And Paul, the writer of Hebrews, which is, we don't know again. I was taught when I was younger it was Paul, so then, then I realized that nobody knows. <laughs> Still good, though. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Can I encourage you? Take some time with some people who will ask you hard questions. Take some time with some people who will ask you these questions. Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? If your closest friends just look at you on occasion and ask you if you love Jesus, that's really not deep enough. Because it's times like these that with a sincere heart, we concrete our confession in Christ. And then finally we get around each other and we come and we spur each other on to continue to do the things of God. In with the children's fable this morning. Sammy the snail and 
Tommy the tortoise. Sammy was up in a tree. I don't know how he got in a tree because he's a snail, but he was up in a tree regardless. Of course, we're talking about a talking snail and a talking tortoise, so, you know, it's kind of... Tommy looks at his friend Sammy and says, why are you crying, Sammy? Sammy says, because I want to be in a race, but I'm just too slow. I know I'll get beat every time. So Tommy said, I, I got an idea. You and I will create a race together. He said, because I can't beat anybody anyways, and we'll just race together. Of course, everybody in the animal kingdom made fun of them, <laughs> laughed at them. But as the race progressed, all of a sudden, attitudes began to change. The animal kingdom began to cheer them on. Go, Sammy, go, Sammy. Of course, the tortoise, Tommy, passed the finish line first. Sammy was right behind him. And it's interesting because of this thought. With friends spurring you on, even the slowest snail can finish the race. I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what Paul talked about. And Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians. Do whatever you have to do to obtain the prize. What was Paul saying? Finish the race. It's interesting because about 8 to 10 years later, he writes his young son Timothy, his, his son in the faith, this letter in chapter 4, verse 7 of 2 Timothy. He says this, Timothy, he says, I've fought the fight, I've run the race. I've got the prize that awaits for me. It was almost like he was saying, Timothy, what I told the Corinthians to do, I've done, and I want to encourage you to do what I've done, so continue to fight and finish the race. And all of us are called to do that. What do we do in times like this? We go back to the basics and we make sure, God, that we're in the race and we make sure that we finish the race, amen. We guard our hearts and our minds and we say, God, with the heart of sincerity, I come to you. I'm making sure that my confession of Jesus Christ is concrete and I'm building that up around me as much as I can, but I also want to do it with the people of God. We run the race. And we finish together. The call is simple. If you're a brother or sister in the Lord and you got some things hanging on, you got to shuck them off, man. Repent. Ask God to deliver you. Do what you need to do. But if you're not saved and you haven't asked Christ into your heart, that begins this morning. It begins this morning with that attitude of saying, God, I want to make you Lord of my life. Would you stand with me all across the building? Bow your heads with me. Father, as we said in your presence, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we want to do our part and finish the race as you've given the race to us to finish. So with a sincere heart and our confidence in Christ, you are Savior. Let us finish the race, but we don't want to do it alone. We want to do it with as many people that will run the race with us. 
And I want you to take a minute and contemplate what you're about to do if you're going to ask Christ into your heart and surrender your life to Him. Because that's where it starts. But maybe you're in that situation where it's exactly what we talked about. What do I do when I don't know what to do, Matt? I'm trying my best to do the things that God has called me to do. So I'm, I, I just I need a little more direction, a little more guidance. We've all been there and we want to pray for you. As everyone looks at me, I'm going to ask our altar workers to come ahead and come forward. And as they slip out of their seats, I want you to slip out of your seats right now and come down and get prayer. They're making the way for you. Maybe you have something you need very specifically in your life. Maybe you do need to commit your heart and your life to the Lord. I know that it's hard because it seems like everyone's looking, but they're not. I promise you, if they're saved, they're praying for the person next to them. Let's bow our hearts and our heads just for a minute and give people time to slip out. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in the congregation this morning. And we thank you, Father, that as our heads are bowed, that people are taking a part of this. They're coming down to get prayer and get help. Would some of the other people who know how to pray just slip out of your seat and come put your hand on somebody's back so they're not alone up here? Would you just come up and do that? Some of you guys who know how to pray, feel free. We need your help. As you're in the seats, would you just stretch out your hand as we pray together? Father, our hearts are bowed, and we thank you for the ones who've come forward, and you know their needs, God. You know what they're going through and the direction and the difficulty, things that they face, God. Thank you for their courage and their bravery to come down, but thank you for the courage and the bravery in the seats of the people who are thinking about what they need to change or thinking about the help that they need or thinking about their salvation even as we pray. God, you can move among the hearts and the minds of your people, and we worship you and we praise you for that. Meet their needs, God. Encourage them. What they're looking for, God, help them find it in you. Strengthen them, God. And help us all to do what you've called us to do. Let us go back to the basics. Make sure that we have our mindset and our hearts sincere and our confidence in you. And God, we do it together as we move forward because we're called to be your church. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your goodness in what's taking place in the hearts and lives of your people. Thank you for the prayers that are being prayed and the hearts that are being softened. And we ask you to continue in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. These guys are going to continue to pray up front. And if you need extra prayer, please come down. We're here with you. We know some of you may slip out. And if you do, we're just going to release you and say, go do that. Please don't forget the several tables out front. And see you tonight back at 6 p.m. We love you guys. Enjoy the rest of your weekend as these continue to pray. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.